This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Finally back in pole position after what seems like months of you going to Mike first. I don't think <laughs> I didn't notice that. Uh, nothing's up. No banter. How are you, Aaron? I'm good. I was thinking about uh, your succulents today okay. because we have a plant that is stored in uh, the office where I work and where I also record this podcast. I don't know what kind of plant it is, so don't expect me to bring that out, but uh, it creates bugs somehow, little flying bugs. Oh, you get little flying ones. Yeah. Sometimes when I water the succulents, I do get, you know, like a tiny little critter, like one of those bugs that looks practically invisible. Sure. Uh, but no, no fly guys in here, thankfully. Yeah, we had uh, that before and SB dealt with it and now uh, they've returned. And so uh, she took the plane outside. I don't know what that does, but it'll be back eventually. Well, good luck. Thank you. Gambari Mas. All right. We're also joined by Mike. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. You know, I'm doing all right. I'm glad you take some responsibility and ask Nate about the plant yourself because I was so used to being the one doing so. I'm glad to see that the emotional labor on this podcast is being spread throughout the cast. I'm very pleased about that. But, you know, I'm doing all right. It's been, you know, it's been a kind of a busy week. been doing some volunteering. So that's kind of been what I've been doing when I get out of the house lately. So got a big wow, humble brag. I, you know, I always feel like I don't have anything to say. So <laughs> I, 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 I mean, because I know... I have enough of an outlet for all my other wrestling stuff. So, I mean, like that's not, you know, just, you know, doing my service. That's why I uh, made having nothing to say part of my gimmick. See, I, step ahead. Is that part of your gimmick or is that something that you did as a response to Nick Jolanza? Um, I do not acknowledge any uh, outside criticisms of the show, especially not from other podcasts. Fair enough. I guess that was his Twitter, huh? Other podcasters. There we go. You got to cover all angles here. This is the most, as of right now, the most followed uh, podcast about All Elite Wrestling on Twitter. Okay. Okay. We've, we've moved into number one, folks. Oh, I didn't. Uh, you've been tracking that, huh? Well, you know, as we've gained more followers, I've just kind of looked at it occasionally. <laughs> and, uh, we stepped into number one today is all I'm saying. Well, uh, congratulations to us. That yeah. other, the, the other big podcast that has big numbers was like nice to us on Twitter. So, um, you know, I, I look forward to a fruitful and friendly rivalry with them going forward into the glorious future of all elite wrestling. Absolutely. If you want to add to our numbers and follow us on Twitter, we're at everything AEW. You can also find me at Aaron Like the Car, Nate at Epitasis. And Mike at Fuji Heya, like Don Fuji with two eyes. Finally gotten that after all these years. Make sure you subscribe to the show. You can find us on any podcast app by just searching Everything Elite or by subscribing to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We come out basically every Thursday night. So if you're subscribed, you'll get those. You know, if you're up late, you'll get it. Or as soon as you wake up on Friday morning. We have not a ton to talk about, but some exciting stuff to talk about. The first TV show sold out. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to take a big victory lap. We're going to talk about All Out, the announcement of how they're going to determine 
one of the contenders for the women's title. We got some Riho news. I know there's some uh, big Riho fans that listen to the podcast. So we got some Riho news. We're going to talk stardom, folks. It always pops the, the listeners when we talk stardom. We're going to do it again. Uh, at least talk about the people who are actually related to AEW and also uh, performing on the Stardom Corican later this week. We got talk about OWE's Toronto show. And Nate will, of course, recap being the elite for us. But let's start with the TV sellout. If you recall, if you listen to the show faithfully, as I know you do, only one of the co-hosts of this show predicted that the show would sell out on day one. And that one person, well, it was me. It was AB. So uh, thank you. Nate is, is clapping silently. I just I want to bask in it for a second. Uh, but also acknowledge that we were working under the idea that they were going to sell 14,000 tickets. It turns out, according to uh, BTE, that they sold 10,000 tickets in two hours, and they're going to be opening up two more, 2,000 more as the production kills come down. So I do think it's safe to say that uh, neither Nate or Mike thought that they would sell 10,000 on day one. So I still win. Uh, but they didn't sell as many tickets as I thought they would on the first day. If I recall correctly, I was sort of uh, pitching it at 8K or so, which was coincidentally, I think, what Meltzer also was predicting. But I did think they would get safely above 10,000 by the time of the show. So not, you know, not overwhelmingly shocked or stunned or anything. It was, it was kind of a wow. So I gave it a wow, as I promised to do. They did it again. Um, so now we kick it on to the next one and we get to do it all over again and everybody gets to underestimate their demands for the next two shows and then we'll see how they do. Yeah, as I said on Twitter right afterwards, I'm going to no longer make any sort of predictions for seat or sellouts. Just not going to. Just not worth it anymore. So. Uh, sorry, Mike, but that's just what we do on this show. So I'm probably going to at least try to force you to do it. I, I'm going to stay true to my word. And each time you do it, you're going to have to like really get the claws out and just needle me into this because I, this is four straight shows that have been completely way off on this. So I just, you know, it's awesome. It looks like that. Uh, of course the observer came out right as we were recording and it looks like that they're hoping to get another 3000 more in the arena when they open things up and release things kind of sparingly. So it'll be interesting to see how things go with this. So I mean, 10,000 for their first show in DC against things like, I mean, there's going to be a, an American league playoff game. There'll be a baseball game on like, there'll be the member of the playoffs there. I mean, Wednesdays, as we've talked about enough on the show, we, it's just not necessarily like the biggest sports night, but things do line up on it. So having 10,000 to show up at, at least first day for it, and with what's looking like to be two to three thousand more that are going to open up. I mean, I guess the only big worry is to see if the Washington Nationals are in the playoffs. But even in that case, they're in the National League, so it's awesome. And I'm never going to make another ticket prediction again. So good for them. So if Aaron's going to keep asking us to make these predictions, and since we are the the starters of wrestling, we should institute like a pick and payoff here where somebody has to be embarrassed on the podcast in some way when they keep getting these things wrong. Um, going to throw out one suggestion. The loser for the first pick and payoff should have to smoke one of those Cody Rhodes cigars. <laughs> uh, I'm out on this as a lifeline, lifelong non-smoker. I just mean the stakes are higher for you. 
<laughs> well, I mean, you're already up one zero on this. And we know that AEW is pro smoking. This has been made very clear today that they're in That's the pockets true. of big tobacco. Hey, I mean, they had some sponsor con from RJ Reynolds, you know, I mean, having uh well, come on. Last show, they were sponsored by someone who defrauded Big Tobacco. I mean, we're really getting mixed <laughs> playing, signals from AEW. Playing both sides. Flip-flopping. Wow. Playing both worse. sides <laughs> for the biggest dollar, and I appreciate it. Hey, it, 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 it's one of the things that I'm down for anything embarrassing or just buying people milkshakes. So one, one way or the other, we will pay off who's doing this. But I can't imagine that those cigars are any good whatsoever. Well, it sounds like you're going to find out soon, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We don't, we don't know much else about uh, the the sellout. I mean, what more is there to know mm-hmm. other than if, if Dave has some numbers on uh, people who were, you know, trying to get access to buy the tickets, but they sold them all. And unfortunately, the Observer went up right as we were right after we started recording. So if we have some nuggets that we pick up along the way, we'll throw those in. What we did find out is they are going to uh, or they told us what the next two TV tapings are going to be. So on October 9, I should have figured out how to pronounce these things before uh, getting on this radio show. But they're going to be at the Aganis Arena in Boston, Massachusetts for uh, October 9th. That is about a 7,200-seat arena. Uh, it hosted a anniversary previously. And uh, I guess the biggest news is that Kentucky legend Ennis Cantor is going to be there. So that's big news. That's a very wide berth of using the phrase Kentucky legend. Wasn't he the one that was not allowed to play whatsoever? He attended the University of Kentucky for a full year, practiced with the team, uh, came out, waited. People don't know this in his canter lore, but at Big Blue Madness, right? Like the big event that happens at the start of the year that everybody does. What did you do, Mike? Everybody comes out. They have their little introductions. John Wall famously did the John Wall dance. Ennis Cantor came out, folks, to Undertaker's theme song in the full hat and uh, Undertaker getup. So, you hate to see it. No, you love to see it. It's great. Wow, I didn't know you were such a big Undertaker fan. Sad. Yeah, Undertaker rules. Uh, no, Undertaker's bad. But I mean, come on, didn't we all love Undertaker as a, as children? Uh, maybe in two thousand and three for about four minutes. I had an interest in The Undertaker. That was when he entered at like WrestleMania 20. That would probably be the full extent of me enjoying The Undertaker act. I was a big Undertaker fan, like original Dead Man Undertaker. Like I remember getting the WWF magazine and it was like, I, I think now it turned out he was like, had some sort of injury and he was out for a while. But they had these articles in the magazine about like these really spooky things that he was off doing. And I was just completely taken with it. I just I loved it. I I never really was an Undertaker guy. I mean, I was a Mankai guy. So, mm. and when I got into wrestling was 1998. So it was okay. already kind of past like the uh, big like first Dead Man phase, and this was kind of him dealing with Kane. And I kind of thought, even as a 12 year old, that, that was kind of inherently ridiculous. So I just was like, he was the foil for a Mankind. I loved Mankind growing up before I discovered Chris Jericho. So. You know, he was always against it. So, you know, it doesn't impress me that he showed up at Big Blue Madness, okay? So it will be interesting to see if whatever angle Ennis Cantor does on the show gets picked up by, like, SportsCenter because, you know, it's sort of widely believed that that's why the WWE will run these angles with 
whatever football player or, you know, um, uh, Lonzo Ball's dad or whatever the fuck. So we also know that ESPN has like a relationship with WWE of some kind, although probably not as strong as they previously did. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, him uh, taking a swing at MJF manages to make the countdown. Yeah. And it's interesting because Ennis, I think is no longer right, but was at some point in a relationship with Dana Brooke and was WWE adjacent, but they never had him on screen or, or did anything of note with him that they could have used him for and try to get some pub out of. Although Ennis isn't like the biggest NBA star. I think some of his shenanigans have led to a higher level of notoriety, maybe over the last season or so, but he's not, you know, LeBron or anything like that. Then the next week on October 16 at the Lecaurus Center. I am not a an Atlantic 10 basketball fan, but it is yeah. where Temple plays. So we probably could have asked like Lanza about this. But I think it's Lecaurus, maybe. I don't know, but it's in Philadelphia. As, as Mike said, it's where Temple plays. Uh, may have been home to the famous uh, John Chaney, John Calipari uh, interaction. Oh, sure. Hosted a lockdown and a bound for glory and seats approximately 10,000. So two big questions here. Well, no well, reason to ask. Me, yeah, let me edit you first. Dave says in the Observer, the first, the Boston Arena is going to be set up for like 5,000. Okay. The uh, Philadelphia Arena is going to be set up for like 7,000. Yeah. Okay. That it's pretty fair to say that whenever they are, they're going to list these things, seeing how things have gone in the past, probably just lock two to 3,000 off of every number. So That makes sense. So what we know uh, is they're going to Boston and Philadelphia. I don't think there's any argument that those aren't good cities to go to or like it makes good sense to go to those towns, right? Sure. And if you read that, I forget what it was in, but there was an interview with Cody where he said they're doing some sort of like statistical analysis of where people order tickets from as part of planning their shows. Although I don't know how smart you have to be to go to DC, Boston and, and Philly. Yeah. I mean, it's smart. I mean, this is one of the reasons why they have BR live is to track your data and know how to do these things. That's why they had people show up. And even though that Tony Khan has talked about how much money they pretty much lost by not having it on a pay-per-view, they get the information there and they're going to know, okay, that's, that's a good idea for the first loop. But, but let's be honest, if you're going to go to wrestling, traditional wrestling hotbeds, you have DC, which was the original home of the WWF. You have Boston, I made enough set there. And then you have Philly. So, I mean, obvious places to go. They're not running the huge arenas there during the basketball season. So, I mean, with the exception of the uh, the Capital One Center. So, I mean, it, it all makes sense to me. So, it, and as I've kind of always said, these are the second-run college arenas. These are the places that they can run and sell out pretty easily. So, I think it's all good moves here. Got to give Mike uh, big props for nailing that this, these are the kind of arenas they were going to be running. I've been and saying this for years. You I've, have? Yeah, ever since New Japan came over, I was like, you should run college basketball arenas. Don't run like like when they were talking about New Japan running the Staples Center. I was like, no, that's stupid. Go run one of the small arenas there. So, like, yeah, like just keep like this. So if you're someone who has a NCAA Division One basketball team in your town and you're a large city, probably expect for those arenas. Just going to call it out there. Louisville, Kentucky? Can we see them here? Uh, the, do, you, do you have a college basketball team there? Yeah. Not a real one, but we do have a very nice college basketball arena here in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, but where I think like the uh, 2016 NCAA National Champions play at? 
No, there are there is no team here who has won a national championship since uh, the early 1980s. So I don't know what you're talking about. Here's the question: Can now and we're going to get you know for our official pick and payoff that'll come later. But what do we think generally as we're looking at this now? Can they put five thousand people? Can they sell five thousand tickets in Boston on a day one? Obviously, I mean, let's start there. There's no question they can fill up these arenas, right? Nobody doubts that. I do not doubt it, Aaron. Okay. Does anyone doubt that they can sell 5,000 and 7,000 tickets in one day for these two tapings? No, I think both is very practical. The question, I guess, is how many East Coast people are traveling to that DC show? Uh, but I guess I would counter that by saying, if you're traveling to that DC show because you're that invested in the product, you're probably going to go see it again when it's in your town. So, yeah, I think they both sell out uh, in, in pretty short order. I will start by saying I'll not make any ticket predictions, but I will think I think that the, the, these are two achievable goals here, getting 5,000 tickets and then having two strong weeks to follow up here. I think it will be interesting to see after the initial sheen is off how these arenas start selling, but there's nothing to me to think that because, I mean, from D.C. to Philly is, what, about three hours? So, I mean, like that's a distinct area and the same case for Boston. So, I mean, you are running different areas. It's not like they're going Philadelphia, New York, Hartford, Connecticut, back to back to back. There's enough distinction here that I feel like that even for like people who travel into town, like they might pick up like a $20 ticket the next week if they're from Boston and they came in for it or if they're from Philadelphia two weeks later, throw down a 20 spot, go see it there. So, I mean, I think it's doable. We're going to get a lot of feedback about you implying that Philadelphia and New York are the same place. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. I'm just saying they're in the same like overall like area. Like if you can go somewhere and it's in Philadelphia and you want to go somewhere and there's something in New York, you know, there's, there's possibilities there. I'm just saying that I went to New York City for the first time in my life this year. So the whole idea of what everything happens north of, of Washington, D.C. is just a giant mass to me. It's, they didn't teach those in Texas schools. Now, Mike, you can say you're not going to make predictions all you want, but I'll have you know that my job is literally making people answer questions. So uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how you hold up under pressure. Okay. If you uh, were listening, of course, I noted that uh, there have been big TNA shows in these arenas. And that's uh, notable perhaps because AEW's arena booker is a guy named Raphael Morphy. Also didn't check on the pronunciation of that, who worked for TNA and did this same job for them. So, and according to a friend of the show, Robert, uh, was one of the most uh, effective people in the TNA office. So I seems to be doing a good job on this so far. Hard to complain. Okay, no takes on that. On sale announcement. We're going to get ticket date and time announcements uh, on August 9th. That's tomorrow if you're listening to this Thursday night. It's today if you're listening to it Friday at noon. So look out for that, I'm sure, on all their social channels. If it's Saturday, it was yesterday. That's right. Uh, this was interesting. One of you pointed this out on our Twitter account, although I'm not sure who it was. The it was Nate. It was Nate. The yeah. advertising for the first two or the first three television shows, I guess, features the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Cody, John Moxley, and Chris Jericho. Adam Page is not featured, and no woman is featured. Thoughts on that? Yeah, just thought it was notable, especially because Adam Page is going to be in their world title match here. And if he's going to be their world champion, you would think he would be a top-pushed guy there in the advertising. So maybe that um, you know leads you to conclude one way about the booking of that match. 
Uh, and then, yeah, you know, the initial press conference talked about how women are going to be paid and uh, presented equally in this promotion and didn't have any advertised women here. I don't know that, um, you know, there's any one woman that would be on the level of a Chris Jericho or John Moxley or Kenny Omega to put on this uh, poster. But, you know, it's just sort of a perception thing there. Uh, they did bring Nyla Rose and Awesome Kong to the, uh, what was it, the C A CTAs, CBAs, waiting on the CTA. You're close, TCA. TCA. They, you know, brought those women to that event um, along with, I think, Brandy. So, you know, certainly using the women in part of their promotional push. Just thought it was a thing to take note of. Yeah. I mean, it certainly, regardless of the booking, it certainly uh, betrays a lack of faith in Adam Page as uh, a draw at this point. It doesn't mean they're going to cut bait on him or anything, but it just means they, they appreciate, accept at this point that, uh, that very few people know who he is. I also got the impression that they did all these images at once and it was kind of lazy looking at the templates. Like, shake it up. Like, have your other talent out there. You've made a big deal about women being able to be comparable. Like, why not have uh, Dr. Britt Baker out there? Why not have Nyla Rose on there? I mean, it's just little things that just show variety. Because when, like, when I saw these photos pop up, I was like, okay, they obviously were just doing templates for this. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'd rather see a little bit of variety with it. So. I actually thought I did a good job on variety because they did have different color schemes for the two next events. They had like a little different backdrop and they had the logo for the arena in question. So just that sets it apart from raw where every raw is the exact same thing every week, week after week after week. So really just like changing the color was enough to go, Oh, that's a separate event. Like there's going to be different advertised matches for that and stuff. I was more focused on the buildings that they've featured on each poster so far. You know, just really something to think about. Okay. You're talking, you're talking about, <laughs> you, is this a reference to what was discussed earlier? Yeah, it was a, it was a okay. very, uh, little inside inside joke that nobody appreciated. So it just <laughs> went over poorly. Okay. TV advertising. This is fun. And it kind of goes in with some of the stuff we've been talking about. They are, and you know, how they're going to push this show as it's uh, coming, and especially going up against MLB playoffs and whatnot. They apparently are doing advertising before the Hobbs and Shaw movie that The Rock is in. And I feel like I heard something else, but I just could not come up with it today of the other advertising that they're doing. But it also seemed to be uh, wrestling related, as I recall. So, anyway, they're really pumping this out to like major audiences and also. You know, if someone is particularly interested in The Rock, there's a possibility at least that they are interested in pro wrestling. And so it at least makes sense. And it's the kind of advertising that when you do, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. It's a rock movie. Toss and toss a commercial there. Like, I I know that like the more you go to the movies, the more like they have like this longer pre-roll thing before you even get to previews. So it's a good potential crossover. And this is the kind of thing that when Tony and Cody have talked about going for these last fans, going for like the different markets here. These are the things you need to do because, you know, WWE is not doing these kind of advertising. I mean, I've not watched WWE programs since uh, Daniel Bryan's like return speech. And I've never seen like a WWE ad at the movies. I don't go to movies very often, but the last movie I went to, there was no WWE ad. So, I mean, it's a smart way to branch out at the very least. 
Yeah, I, and I also like it just because it's kind of cheeky. It's like, oh, The Rock, big WWE star. Well, guess what? We were, you know, putting our logo and shit and slapping that on the pre-roll advertising thing. Um, and it just like makes for some fun discourse that you can send your WWE friends and be like, oh, did you see that? Like, <laughs> it's not really a shot, but it's just like a little cheeky. Uh, we did apparently get some notes from the Observer, so thanks to whoever pasted these in. Uh, Dave reports that while October 2nd is going to be the first live wrestling show, it's not going to be the first show on TNT. There's going to be other programming that they haven't announced yet to provide an introduction and build major shows. So I think that's a great idea. Yeah, if that looks like the one that ITV put together before Double or Nothing, then that would be great. It's basically like a 30-minute semi-documentary, semi-work you know, work promotional thing explaining where, what all in was and who these guys are and what the event's going to be and how they're, you know, doing a revolution, uh, quote unquote. Um, so if that's on, you know, a TNT and they put that out there, uh, it was a nice piece of business. Yeah. Especially considering that TBS is going to be having playoffs on here. You could easily like have like promos for this going on in the playoffs and you're not like directly competing against this. And then during the, during whatever this programming is, then you could have your, your heavy pitch for the October 2nd show. I mean, this is all smart. I mean, they've been filming all this stuff for so long. And I mean, with the stuff that they've been doing to road to all out, I mean, it's obvious that they could do a re-edit and take whatever stuff they haven't used and apply it to a 30 minute pitch video. I mean, I don't know what the uh, championship committee member Jack Whitehall is up to, but I'd be glad to see him back in on this, you know, doing some sit down interviews, but yeah, no, this is awesome. And that's, like another piece of evidence showing how much faith Warner Media is putting into the pro product going forward. You know, they could do one of those gimmicks in the baseball games where they're like, okay, during the stick around during the seventh inning stretch because we're going to show, and it's usually like a trailer for some movie, but they could put together a, a short trailer for the first AEW TV show or something like that. Just something that I could see them tying in that would maybe hit a larger amount of eyes. Yeah, you could have a total huge <laughs> audience here. I mean, there's a lot of options here. Right. Nate mentioned a revolution, folks. The company applied to trademark the term All Elite Wrestling Revolution. So I think it's possible that's going to be the name of the TV show. Extremely uh, me playing T.E.W. in uh, high school name. Like that's totally what I would name my uh, Total Extreme Warfare fake wrestling television show. So, hey, works for me. Yeah, this rolls much better than Dynamite. I was going to say, it's kind of cheesy, but it like it works. It's totally within the uh, the aesthetic that they have and how they've been selling. I mean, Garrett Kidney had this uh, point on Twitter a week or so ago where he just talked about how AEW has been great at establishing what their brand is and who they're going for and never straying from that. And even if it strikes some people as cheesy and, you know, like the WWE fans, it strikes them really terribly. But you almost have to accept and appreciate how much they've steered right into this. We are changing the business thing. So might as well keep going with it. No reason to back off of it. Uh, Revolution is a, uh, is a fine name. We could also see that also in the observer, they talked about how there'd be one more pay-per-view with four big shows a year. This could be the pay-per-view name as well. So true. It's not worth counting that out yet or saying like, okay, this has to be a TV name. This could be there year-end pay-per-view name so who knows i just don't remember hearing that they trademarked like all out or double or nothing but i they probably did and i missed it i'm almost certain they did 
Um, I'm going to call my shot on the fourth pay-per-view, um, fourth pay-per-view event for the year and predict the LA Forum for that event. Ooh. LA Forum versus like the, the Galen Center or where I forget where UCLA plays. Don't know where UCLA plays either, but no, I think for this will be for a pay-per-view level event, not merely a television. So go into a bigger building. Uh, interestingly, one owned, one that is owned by uh, the Madison Square Garden Company. I think the fourth pay-per-view is going to be outside of the United States. You think it'll be UK? I or think Canada. UK, you, yeah. Okay. I think UK seems more likely just because, um, you know, you got the Tony Khan connection there, got the soccer team or whatever. We we know they we know they have dates planned for the UK at some point or at least plans to do events there at some point. So yeah, and it also works in with this visa issue. It might be easier to get some talent there than it is to get them in the United States. So I don't know. Just what I'm thinking. Going forward with regard to TV, we found out this week that John Moxley, Luchasaurus, and Penelope Ford have been added to the Jericho Cruise. So obviously it's gonna have an AEW heavy presence and very well could have a taped TV uh, episode or live TV episode, as I suggested on the last show, uh, straight from the Jericho Cruise. And one last note from The Observer, Tania, I don't know, Brooks, who was Rebel in Impact, uh, has been hired, at least for now, to do the makeup and hair of the women for television. Dave says he saw her backstage doing that for StarCast in Las Vegas. Dave, stay out of backstage when they're working on hair and makeup, buddy. <laughs> I mean, you're supposed to keep a firewall between product and media. Come on, dude. <laughs> when I was in Las Vegas covering Double or Nothing, I made sure to keep that firewall very, very firm. We have more journalistic integrity. Well, there's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Now, next um, joining us is uh, VCR Wrestling. <laughs> Will be joining us on the phone. Talk about a false flag uh, cancellation that was perpetrated today. Um, yeah, was did Rebel do a one stardom tour? Maybe did that happen? I don't know. I think okay. I remember. She, I'm being added as a fake fake geek fan. I think she had a, like an all time bad match in TNA at one point. That was her, right? Yes, that or was like her. Her Shelly Brooks, maybe Shelly Martinez. Yeah, it was Shelly Martinez. This I think she had a tour, maybe one or two, like a couple of years ago, like before the uh, Ring of Honor relationship. Yeah, I think so. Certified. Too. Yeah, I'm just guessing. I'm probably wrong. Okay, let's talk about All Out. It's coming up soon. It's going to be August 31 at the Sears Center. We're all going to be there. It's going to be exciting. Road to All Out Four was this week, and it did announce uh, one new match for All Out. Uh, it starts out with a screen uh, telling us that the episode is in memory of Harley Race, who, of course, passed away this past week. Then we see Alex Marvez in the AEW Control Center, and he's mostly there to talk about Triple Mania, which I think we'll just scoop in our Triple Mania talk right now. So uh, the the beginning, we see that Sa – actually, I don't know. Somebody put this in. Screw me up. I had my own notes. Sorry. That, that was me. There's a note I about Sammy Guevara. So, Mike, tell us about Sammy. Yeah, he was in the uh, four-way for the mixed tag with uh, Scarlet Bordeaux and, you know, was not involved in the fall, just kind of was there to eat up space. Sorry to throw you off there. It's okay. I'm out. It is not watching Triple Mania and knowing well, that. Well, well, we talked about you not watching it already on the show, so it's okay. Uh, they show us that Cody teamed with Cain uh, Velasquez and Psycho Clown. Ultimately, Cain Velasquez submitted Tejano Jr. So apparently, from all accounts, it was a 
successful and impressive debut from uh, Kane. Yeah, it was kind of goofy. He was doing funny lucha spots. Um, he wore a mask the whole time, which was also kind of goofy. But yeah, fun little sideshow. Yeah, this match was fun. Very much Cody was the sixth person on the same. There was all the thing leading up to it was all about Kane teaming with Psycho Clown against uh, a mystery opponent and Los Mercenarios, which are Tejano and Tarus, who had that like angle with Cody Rhodes that one time that he got attacked in the ring before Double or Nothing. The match itself was fun, a lot more fun than the next match we'll talk about. But yeah, Kane ruled. Uh, Psycho Clown had a flamethrowing guitar, which was awesome. Ooh, that's yeah. cool. I mean, Cody got to see what a real ace was like. and uh, He was he was a better looking ace than uh, Tanahashi with that guitar. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Facts you know, only. Facts. Cut his mic. Tanahashi's washed his also. Mic. No, it, my mic. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not cutting a, a mic when someone's spitting out facts here. I mean, oh he, is, he is the true ace of the universe. He had a flamethrower guitar. Somos Peanos out there, baby. He's never dropped the fall to bad luck folly. Never dropped the fall to bad luck folly. You all just wait until Thoros hears this. Just fucking wait. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're speaking truth here. And he oh. made sure that Cody did the right thing and get his photograph with Marciela Pena after the match. So, I mean, he led Cody and Cody being like the third wheel. Cody was fine. The max matched. Everyone freaked out about Kane doing it to Harris too. I think it was Tejano Jr. That was kind of nuts. He, just because he's like six foot six, he had a huge leg brace on. And he had this mask, and it just was very kind of silly seeing a former UFC heavyweight champion doing this. But it was a good time. I mean, who doesn't enjoy someone with a flamethrower guitar and former MMA stars doing Lucha Libre moves and Cody just being there? Well, I have to hate Psycho Clown now that he's been pitted against Tanahashi. Well, you'll be on the wrong side of history. No. Tanahashi is the ace of the universe, uh, once-in-a-generation star. A once-in-a-century star. One in a hundred. S the nice thing about centuries is that you can set and delineate when the century starts and ends. Great point, Mike. <laughs> no, that's bullshit. Psycho. 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 Uh, all right. Kenny Omega and the Bucks uh, took on the Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid in a rematch from Fight for the Fallen? Yes. Fighter Fest? No, Fighter, Fighter Fest. Fighter Fest. One of those shows. We finally yeah. got good about that. And now we got bad <laughs> about it again. Oh, my. Uh, and uh, Pentagon pinned Matt Jackson. We saw some highlights of this in the All Out. So this match wasn't very good. I don't really understand, like, why. Like, I understand that the crowd probably does not really know the elite whatsoever. Like, yeah. you saw that play out when that in their previous uh, appearance in AAA. Um, Kenny did get like a surprising minor pop when he was first announced as like coming out, but then there was really very little heat throughout the match and i just i i cannot articulate what the difference between like your pwg super indie style is and triple a lucha libre where they do their whole shtick that they've done with the lucha brothers and has been you know resulted in super hot matches and like multiple promotions over the past few years but then they do it here and it's like nobody cares like nobody pops for like the the really big spots and i guess i don't I can't figure out what the difference in the rhythm or the cadence or the style of Lucha is that it doesn't plug in, but there is a difference. There's that. And like the big also difference is that there's a lot more just shenanigans in AAA too. I mean, the, the, the crowd really got into it when there were some referee spots 
because that's how AAA operates. Yeah, the when they started overbooking and doing all the referees getting pulled out of the ring and having people run around and run in, then it really started getting heated and they started doing the near falls and you started getting pretty big pops as the crowd really wanted their uh, Mexican team to win. Um, what they should have done is just started with the overbooking ref nonsense at the very start of the match and just done like 18 minutes of ref shenanigans. That would have been entertaining. Well, something else that's also worth noting was this was right after the Cain Velasquez match, which was built up as a much bigger thing on the show. Like the the two main matches on the show was the Lucha de Puestas in the main, in the main event between Blue Demon Jr. and and Hio uh, de Dr. Wagner. Oh no, sorry, Dr. Wagner Jr. Not Hio. Hio was there. And this match was in between the two. So Yuri had a, a giant energy dump. Like this was like the the this was the cool off spot. And they should have had this. Like one thing that they did in the past was they had Conan be affiliated with the Young Bucks, and that did not happen at all here because if Conan comes out and the crowd reacts to him, and sadly the elite would get over by osmosis. But yeah, I mean as soon as all the tropes were happening, they were into it. But outside of it, it was cursory. It was fine. I mean I'm not going to come out here and say it sucked because it was a well-performed match. It just was a match that the crowd was just not into. It was weird. They also called uh, my close friend and friend of the show, Hugo Savinovich, for Kenny. His nickname in Mexico is The Finisher. Not The Cleaner, not The Best Bat Machine, The Finisher. And they kept on calling him The Finisher, which was a very good pop. And I, I noticed think- that in BT, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, what, what are, Why The Finisher? Well, they just make up their own their own nicknames. Like Cody was called the Throne Breaker during his match. Like okay, that's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So Hugo just does what he wants. He's the best announcer in the world. You just let him do what he does. He he's like just, I respect. He's it. basically the Jim Ross of Mexico. Like really, so like worked since like the seventies, and you just you let him do it. Oh, he rules. Ah, 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 ah. Hugo Savinovich rules. <laughs> and there was a clip of him on BTE saying hi to everyone. That was really cool. Backstage, I appreciated that. Apparently, Kenny Omega challenged Phoenix for the AAA Mega Campeon in Mexico, probably in October or December. I believe there was a note floating around that they wanted to do this on this on this show, yeah, or, Cubs, or what? There's Cubs something said about that that, that uh, AAA had wanted to do the Kenny Omega versus Phoenix match on this show, um, but uh, AEW did not want to. So, it seems like they're setting that up for the future. Kind of makes sense because they met once previously in New and Kenny beat Phoenix there. So, you know, making a challenge based off that, I suppose. Doesn't really matter because it's AAA. Um, but yeah, Kenny also gave like one of his promos that he might give if he was like a super baby face, you know, at the end of All In or something. And it was just like super awkward because he wasn't the super baby face in that context and it did not make a lot of sense and it did not seem like it got a big reaction for the challenge. Um, you know, if that were in Japan, uh, and not even if it, if, we're, if Kenny Omega were not involved, but just like a title challenge in Japan gets a pop every time, and here that was not the case. Well, it's also worth noting that they kind of forget about this championship all the time. Like, Phoenix won this title sometime last year, and you know he was announced with it, which surprised me a little bit. But it's just it's a title that's kind of been tossed in the background for, for all the uh, Young Buck stuff with them and. I wrote it in the notes probably August, October or December because those are the big shows that AAA has remaining in the year. So we'll see that. I mean, I I saw the locations. I'm not familiar with them. But, you know, there's two locations there. They want to do this before. We'll see. I mean, I'm kind of 
I, I don't want to speak for all of us. I'm kind of done with the Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros feud. So them going off and doing their own singles thing, at least, is more interesting to me at this point. Yeah, you're right. That probably is a symptom of the importance of belts in Japan versus in Lucha. Uh, but yeah, I think you can kind of speak for all of us on that because, you know, again, it's something we've seen a million times. Works for most crowds. Did not really work for this crowd. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty much AAA. Triple A claimed there were 18,000 people in the building, 50,000 watching on Twitch, 1.6 million watching on Azteca TV there in Mexico, and a nebulous 8.2 million watched some portion of the show. That's that's good pro wrestling uh, numbers right there. I feel like the most watched thing in wrestling over the last few years, if that was the case. <laughs> I wonder if that's like really they were on the Twitch front page for 15 minutes and that was all the people that visited Twitch <laughs> over that time period or something. I, I mean, I did see that both the English and the Spanish commentary on Twitch was one of the larger ones I've ever seen on it. So, like, it did do well, and I think it was close to a legitimate sellout for them. And the Azteca number, I assume, is legit, but the 8.2 million number, I mean, hey, if you're doing that, then you need to bring that TV worldwide because that is some incredible numbers. Everyone would kill for 8.2 million for just a glimpse. I just assumed that. Azteca is the TV station, right? Like... Azteca is free. Uh, Space 7 is their pay. It was across both. Azteca, they, I think they only had the top three matches, whereas Space had the whole entire show. Gotcha. So. All right. Then we see Brandy, and she's here to tell us good news. The Casino Battle Royale is back. <laughs> uh, great line that she played totally straight. And they're going to use it to determine one contender for the women's championship. If you don't remember, folks, the Casino Battle Royale, everybody draws a card and you're putting groups based on the suit. And whoever, you know, five at a time come out for the match. Whoever draws the Joker card comes out 21st. And that won't be the last Joker reference in this segment, folks. We learned that Ali, Brandy, Nyla Rose, Britt Baker, Yuka Sakazaki, Teal Piper, Ivelisse, and Jazz are going to be in the Battle Royale. To be precise, Eight people. Um, the the latter three of those, Piper, Ivelisse, and Jazz, were explicitly announced as being in it. The former four of those, five of those, um, were, were identified as potential winners. So uh, you can sort of assume they're in the match, but it was not explicitly stated. Also, Brandy specifically pointed out that they don't have 21 women under contract. So they, pretty much if you're a woman and you're, adjacent to this company you're going to have to be in this match so well let's just first bury the fact that they're going to do another battle royal to determine a title contender like that sucks and i hate it and the people who say like i made i had this take on twitter and somebody responded and said well they got to have two contenders for the first tv show like only because they decided that they didn't have to do it this way so i just they it, also it could have had they could have had multiple women's matches on this card to determine the Ooh. contenders like that what is an entirely idea. an option. You could have two four ways if you have to do a goofy multi-man match or something like that, multi-woman match. Um, I'll, I'll do the same defending I did for this match as I did for the goofy triple threat three-way dance tag team for a chance at an opportunity at a buy and an eliminator that they were doing on the previous shows. At least there's some consistency in that they did this for the top men's title. So now they're using the same methodology for the women's title. At least that's consistent. You can say that in its defense. Um, I'll also say in its defense, 
it's probably going to be better than the battle Royale, the casino Royale on the first show. Cause that match sucked. Um, and there's not a whole lot of goofy gimmicks in this one. I mean, there's characters in the women's division, but we don't have like goofy gimmicks to speak of. Um, so I think that's something that could be improved. Also, I would think that the production will probably be a little improved. They won't have goofy, uh, messed up time cues or not properly announcing people as they came to the ring. You would hope for fewer missed camera shots and shit. So it could only be a step up from the men's casino battle royale. Uh, but yeah, still stupid time to uh, use this as a title match contender determiner. I don't know, and I might be wrong on this, but wasn't the one at double or nothing every five minutes for each suit? And they announced three minutes for this one. So at the very least, they've learned from their mistake. And there was just way too much time of people just standing around in that battle royal. So they've at least learned so much, somewhat from their mistakes. But yeah, you, you know, there's some consistency being applied here, which is something we won't have. I, I mean, I, I'm going to be lambasted. We're not going to have someone as bad in this as Marco Stunt. So we have that going for oh. us at least. But yeah, I mean... This is dumb. We've been over how we think that this is a dumb way to decide titles. And I'm at least like excited to see Jazz in this. Jazz was someone that, you know, she had a bit of a NWA re return. And then now is seemingly like she didn't drop the NWA title and because there was something going on. But now she's an all elite. And if she's going to stick around, that'd be awesome. I love Jazz when she was in WWE. So then they did three little featurettes. It started with uh, Teal Piper, who talks about growing up with Rowdy Roddy Piper as a wrestler and not deciding to get into wrestling until she was an adult and really kind of ties it into like a way to keep the memory of her father alive. So that was sweet. Sweet uh, little segment. Um, I, I don't we don't think that she's wrestled before. She at least has not been on anyone's radar as a wrestler. I haven't heard anything or seen anything. No, no, like uh, match results that anyone has been able to find. Um, so I, you know, hope she can work. Seems like she's starting a little late. Like most people start, you know, in their 20s or whatever. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure Cody is sympathetic because it seems like she was an actor and she's the son of or the, the daughter of Roddy Piper. And now she's moving to wrestling to, uh, you know, follow his legacy and stuff. Yeah. Wishing the best for her performance yeah you know I, you, you you look at like the the women's royal rumble in the wwe and like you can just see how a, a battle royale can go bad if you have people who aren't like super experienced of this sort of thing right it the thing that kind of struck me with this with hers is because they went straight from her sit down feature which i thought was a pretty good sit down feature i thought she came across as very likable to the dealing out of the cards with Jade Snake Roberts and her delivery of her dad's line of changing the change. If you already have the answers, I'll change the questions came off really kind of awkward. Whereas when she was sat down doing the interview, I thought it was very genuine. And I, I was like, all right, this is actually pretty cool. I was getting into it. And then she, she was doing that and I was like, Oh God. Okay. And it kind of made her come off like just imitating her dad, which I obviously this, we assume is her first match. So of course it's going to be the comparisons between her and Roddy Roddy Piper. It just was like the delivery was kind of just made me, a, I saw that, that car delivery before I went back and watched uh road to all out. So I was like, Oh geez, what am I getting myself into? And then I see this great sit down interview with her and I'm like, okay, that 
that's good. Like this, why'd you have her do her dad's lines? Like let her do her own thing because this came off as really ham fisted there. Yeah, I will say the presentation for all this was great. Um, as we've come to expect from the Road 2 shows, the sit-down stuff where they humanize the person and make them like identifiable and sympathetic, all that stuff was good from her. And then they do a cool little segment where they have Jake the Snake Roberts dealing out people's cards, which is great usage of him. You get a little joke on his Wanna Play 21 line. That's cute. Um, that's presentation and stuff was all top-notch. Um yeah, but I, I'm with you. Her her uh, attempt at that line was a little clumsy. I'm a little wary of how this is going to go. Yeah, so uh, Jake is dealing out cards, and we just get a quick little line, first from Teal Piper, then from Ivelisse, who speaks solely in Joker lines. And then we see Jazz, who just gives us, you know, the bitches back, which is a classic Jazz line. Do we think Ivelisse is giving away that she's the Joker in this battle royale? Or does she just think that Joker's the cool shit to quote? I think she just thinks it's cool. Surely they'll do a surprise for 21 again, right? The the surprise last time was pretty underwhelming. It was bad. So they got to do it right. A main roster guy who we all (laughs) knew would be there. (laughs) I thought Jazz looked awesome. I love her mask that she had. And like that, that was her. If I didn't already hear that. Jazz was going to be there. I thought that was an awesome reveal and she looked like a badass. And I'm like stoked if Jazz is going to be here full time. Just the opportunities of, of like seeing, like, I, I want to see like Jazz versus Yuka Sakazaki. That's a match that I'm here for. Like, there's a lot of stuff in this match I'm excited about. And then there are people like Eve Lisa are in this match. I'm like, okay, really? I guess she's here. That's something. So. Ivelisse rules. Um, she throws suplexes and is, acts like a badass. So I'm pro Ivelisse that she has a bunch of haters who are mad at her for whatever perceived slights backstage just makes her cooler. Um, uh, You know what her opinions on mental health or whatever, maybe not the coolest, but what can you do? Yeah, but I am excited for this match in that we get some fresh blood. We get to see Ivelisse. We get to see Jazz. We get to see what Teal Piper has in store for us. We have some unknown number of question marks because we're looking at at least, I don't know, five or six or seven or eight. Uh, unannounced people that are going into this match. So we could have some curveballs there. That's always fun. Um, so yeah, that stuff is, is all fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to that aspect of it for sure. And the episode closes out with a little Nyla Rose uh, sit down feature. She talks about, well, this is the first time I think in like an official channel that she's really talked at length about her life as a trans woman. And she starts out by talking about, you know, spending a lot of her life having to put on a face for others instead of getting to be herself. And then ultimately she realized that was having a a really bad uh, impact on her mental health and that she wasn't going to be able to live that way. So she was going to have to be who she was. They show some very cute pictures from, uh, it seemed at least how they presented it from when she first started transitioning. So they seem pretty old pictures and uh, they're great pics. And then she talks about how people at her wrestling school largely embraced her. And I thought this was interesting that the people at her wrestling school thought that's when her personality as a wrestler really clicked was when she could finally, you know, be herself and not have to act like something that she wasn't. She puts over everybody in AEW and how uh, good they've been to her, how they've dealt with her and talks about how, you know, she really can't see this of happening for her, this having happened for her two years ago, but the way that society is progressing, which I, I guess it is somewhat, and that she's hoping she can play a part in 
pushing it forward. So this was excellent and another great Road 2 segment. Yeah, another great segment. Um, all of these make it very hard to be introduced to these performers and not find them sympathetic or compelling on some level. This one especially. Um, and I think it is uh, the right choice to do this because they've done it with so many other of their roster members that you know it kind of want to give her the opportunity to tell her story as well. Um, and I also do want to praise the the diversity that we've seen in this women's division so far because we have you know diversity of race and um, all those other things. There's also a good age diversity in this women's division to this point. Like you know we see uh, veterans like Jazz coming back for this, which is awesome. So I think those are all uh, positive aspects of uh, the way this is proceeding. Yeah, I know that after doing the Double or Nothing press scrum, I was just raving about how awesome Nala Rose is and how great her interview was. I'm glad that she got this at this platform and was able to cut one of these features because I think that she is one of the more likable people. Like when she like starts telling her story, like like yeah, she she has her her character that she plays on screen. And it's like great to see like her backstory and all of that. And I was just, I love this segment. Like this actually might've been my, one of my favorite road twos that they've had so far. So I thought this was this whole entire thing. I mean, it's a little bit longer than the last few weeks with uh, Sean Spears and Tolly Blanchard. But this one I thought was a really strong episode and one that is must watch if you're someone trying to follow the promotion. She had an interview this week somewhere. I forget where it was. I've done a lot of that uh, on this episode. And <laughs> she said that it had been her decision to this point to not talk about her being trans within the context of the promotion. So she wasn't saying that on the pay-per-views. The announcers weren't talking about it. So this really is the first time that it's like part of the promotion where she's talked about it. So clearly she decided that she wanted to uh, not address it. Doesn't, I don't mean it that way, but just like, she wanted it to be out there and to talk about it officially. So I think that's interesting. I'm glad they gave her that option of when she wanted to talk about it. And uh, it just came off really well. I'm just, I'm really impressed by her. I, I think I didn't get to experience what Mike did and being there with her at the uh, press scrum, but everything I've seen from her is very impressive how she deals with being in this position of people looking at her as someone who is kind of pushing something forward and uh, she handles it very well. So rooting for her. All right, quick couple of talent notes this week. Not as many as we usually have, but Kylie Ray shows up in a picture training at Freelance. Uh, Nate tells me that this was a few weeks ago, but still it's more uh, proof of life than we've gotten in the last you know, couple of months now. Yeah, she just deleted her Twitter. So who knows, uh, but hoping for the best for her. Yeah, she obviously wasn't mentioned at all related to this Casino Battle Royale. So I think we have to assume at this point that, or we shouldn't expect to see her at this point going forward uh, and, until we're told otherwise. Dave did have a little note in the Observer that with uh, the number of women in the Battle Royale, that'll be interesting to see who is included and also who is not included. Um, yeah, just uh, so we don't know anything further, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, so I yeah, hope everything is okay with her, obviously. Rio. I promised some Rio news, folks, at the top, and I'm going to deliver on it. She had an interview this week with Weekly Pro Wrestling, so I do actually remember the source this time. All right. Thank you. One uh, for talk, eight. Right. We talked over the past two weeks, like, okay, so first Dave reported that she was going to be exclusive to AEW and stardom. Then we saw her taking dates with Tokyo Joshi Pro, 
she announced something else this week where she's going to be somewhere else. And so we're like, well, Dave uh, botched that one. But then it kind of, when you see this interview, it kind of all comes together. She's basically going to be freelancing until AEW television starts. So kind of like everybody else that's involved in AEW. And then when the TV starts, she's going to be full-time with AEW and pretty much unable to do anything but stardom in Japan. But said she's going to be able to make uh, about 80% of stardom's schedule, even while being full-time with AEW. So kind of tells you what the expectations are going to be for her and you would assume other talent uh, as far as uh, AEW commitments. Yeah, I imagine that was something like, you know, Fumi told Dave, oh, she's going to be working AEW and stardom. And then Dave, you know, projected additional context onto that. That probably wasn't there. And then that's how you get a, a Dave report that is uh, technically false, but spiritually accurate. <laughs> it was some peak Dave hours. Sure. All right. I'm going to switch this up a little. Mike, tell us about, you told us what was going on with the OWE Toronto shows on the last episode. So tell us what happened so far. So we are recording this on Thursday. The first show was on Wednesday the 7th and talked to some people there, talked to some people behind it. And it seems that everyone was incredibly happy with the show. It had a pretty strong walk up to it. There was some little bit of worries about it being a midweek show and of course being OWE, which is like we're talking niche of a niche here, but they, they were they were pretty happy with it. And people I talked to in the in the building were really high on the Strong Hearts versus Dark Order match. Like that was probably the match that a lot of people came away and were like, "This match ruled." Like so, that's gonna be something that is worth seeking out. The match between Private Party and the reuniting of Shima and his Super Curry Max tag team partner Christopher Daniels also got some pretty high praise. And then as well, the match between Speedball Mike Bailey and the day, the North American debut of Gao Jingja. I've heard a lot of people kind of come away from this match saying that Gao is someone that did a match in Japan for Dragon Gate. He did a couple more appearances and he didn't really do a whole lot for the rest of the year. I believe he was injured, but this was his big North American debut. And it's the first feast that they were able to get for a Chinese wrestler for OWE. And they said that, this match was going to be exceptional and it really kind of continued for the show on the 10th. Just going off the top of my head, there is this Sammy Guevara match versus Gao. So that would be pretty interesting. There was a match change that Shima is now facing Daniel Makabe, who is someone that's kind of been making some, his name known recently. They did some recording at the show. Looked like it might've been like Shima doing this is the worst town speech. And that'll probably make it into a BTE. There's no ETA on a VOD for this. This was all taped for their fights TV to order off fight TV. This is not live. And there's going to be a process before that. I don't have an ETA on when it's going to go up. But I mean, as soon as this thing's going to go up, I strongly recommend if you're someone who has not really watched a whole lot of OWE, just go out of your way for this. And I mean, just like the three matches that got great reviews. I mean, I've been hearing that they were worthwhile going out of your way for. And if you're in the Toronto area, you don't have much going on. There's the, the second show on Saturday. And I believe that somewhere there's tweeted, there is a discount code for people who are interested to go, but all across the board, pretty high marks for it. Wow. No ETA on the VOD, more like old wrestling entertainment. Am I right? Nailed them. <laughs> Just kidding. Nate, will you watch any of this, even though it will be old wrestling? No. Okay. I'm I'm really intrigued by this speedball and gouging jaw match. I probably I actually, will watch. I, I saw I saw sorry, I was just gonna 
plug in. I saw somebody shout that out um, also that I was getting genuine buzz going. Yeah, I, I would like to see that. Okay, we're going to close out before our BTE recap, of course, with some stardom talk. <laughs> so stardom is running Corkin Hall on August 10th, their monthly Corkin show. And there are some AEW ties, so it's not just completely um, masturbatory on my part to talk about stardom. Poor choice of words. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> well, this is what I was going to go with, but I mean, you know. The, the, well, this is not just fulfilling, just you need to have something to talk about since I got to talk about some Dragon System stuff. Right. I mean, that's the same thing. I mean, I guess it does come off as perverted because it's a women's promotion, but it's just what I said, so. I would have said, like, se self-interested would have been yeah. a good synonym. Yeah. Self-indulgent. Self-indulgent, yeah, very good. Indulgent, that's yeah. what I should have said. That's what I wanted to say. And in, instead, you got... I, so I'm followed by a guy whose at is total sex pervert. And uh, I want to uh, buy it off of him so that I can use it. Is that going to be your new alt? <laughs> I think so. It's AD account. Great account. AB's AD. AB. <laughs> All right, so here are the AW ties, and and one just you know, Mike indulgent match. So Riho, the previously mentioned Riho, is going to be taking on Starlight Kid and Death Yamasan for the high speed title. Uh, this is going to be Riho's debut in Corican, and I think this is interesting because uh, Death Yamasan, who is Kiori Oniyama, is somebody who like can easily Nate just did the uh, the death pose, which I respect. It's like easily somebody that Riho could pin. So I don't think it's out of the question that Riho walks away with the high-speed title here. Is this – but she has dates in other companies after this, correct? She, she does. She has like um, one with Tokyo Joshi Pro, but nothing after that. Yeah, I just – I don't know that they're going to have her walking into other companies with uh, with the stardom title. That's true. Uh, it could a, be put more, a big question mark on that. Yeah, it could. I mean, it could be more that she doesn't have to be involved in the fall here. That's why they've thrown her in a three-way. That sounds like a sort of AEW modus operandi there. Yeah, yeah. I, but obviously, she. I think she's going to be a big piece in Stardom. I think she's going to be pushed and featured. It might not start here, but it is interesting that that Death won the title at the last, you know, for her last challenge, and even though she's not like really a featured player, so. I'm just curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm stoked about this. Starlight Kid for someone at her age is pretty incredible, like especially this style of match. And I'm excited to see how Rio kind of goes into this formula. Cause it seems like lately they've been having a lot of three-way matches for the high speed belt. So it'll be interesting to see how Rio does in this match. Cause this is their version of a it, it's not a weight division, but it's very close to what a Dragon Gate Brave division. Bravegate matches. So it's a very high speed match that's the title. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I could see Rio winning this because I mean Samiri Natsu is a freelancer and she just won the artist. And they don't have a problem with her having that belt, but then again, she mainly just works stardom. So there's a possibility that Rio wins this and does her like her Tokyo Joshi Pro Day. I wouldn't be surprised. All right, next match. I mean, we're not talking about the whole card. You can <laughs> check my Twitter if you want to see the full card. I did post it there. But Arisa Hoshiki takes on Jungle Kiona for the white belt, the wonder of stardom belt. And I, I wasn't going to include this, but but Mike insisted on it. I, I totally had to just pull your teeth to get this to happen, didn't I? You did. I mean, I am a, a known Arisa hater, 
So there is that. I will be rooting very hard for General Kiona here. Um, but uh, any chance to talk more stardom, I'll do it. Jungle Kiona rules. She is probably like the most like unsung wrestler. I feel like this year because with all the matches she's been in, she's been incredible. There was a match with Momo, their tag team, her tag team of Konami that has had some really fun matches, and then the short trio with Hanakamura. And the reason why I thought this was great was apparently they're doing a storyline where Konami is her coach and made her go on a training excursion where all that's been happening is jungle kiona posting photos of twitter of like her accidentally breaking a watermelon her running on the beach with konami having like a motorized bicycle behind her and it's just great shenanigans here and I, i'm really playing for kiona i think this is like her fifth attempt at the white belt or something so what was what what was the context of the broken watermelon she, what did we see she she just said that she that she was really looking for this watermelon after trading, but she broke it. Oh, so that's actually like a cultural event in Japan in the summer is they go to the water they go to the beach and break watermelons like Gallagher. Okay, and I, this did not seem like this was a Gallagher moment. It seemed like that she was really looking for it. Yeah, no, I think they said like uh, there's like I don't know if there's a competition element to it or like a game element to it, but they like do a whole thing with like breaking a watermelon as like a feet of strength or something. I actually meant to look it up today and didn't, but anyway. Mm. All right, last last match on the core, and that is tied into AEW. B. Priestley, the Red Belt champion, will defend the World of Stardom title against Utami Hayashita. This is fascinating to me. Like, what I think is, ha- I mean, Utami is getting the big push, and it's ultimately going to be the biggest star in this company. But it seems to me that they're trying really hard. We talked about last week that B is not over to the level of her push at all. But she beat Kagetsu to win the title. She beat Momo on the last big show. Now I think they're going to have her beat Utami. If you can't get over beating those three people, who are probably the top three wrestlers in the promotion, uh, then you just can't get over in this company. So they're doing everything they can to help her. Uh, So I think she'll win this. But I am uh, skeptical that it's going to work. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think if she gets the fence, she'll probably d- hold it through five-star, and then I still think Momo's going five-star and win the belt. So this is like a big thing here, especially because Utami has pretty much been like a belt captor for her first year, and now she's finally taking some losses. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out to me. And I don't know. I don't see B getting a big response at here in Corkin for this match. It's a heartbreaker. She's really good. So I'm not sure what, what the deal is, but we talked about that a little bit last week. Any thoughts on B versus Utami, Nate? Uh, I like the big rookie. Um, is she still a rookie? She might not be able to be the big rookie anymore, right? Has she changed her nickname? Is she now the big sophomore? <laughs> that hasn't been discussed. Well, well, the, I, well, she's called big rookie because her dad was big daddy on Japanese reality television. So they could call her the big sophomore or just big Utami. So... But no, I don't think they've changed it yet. Should probably change that. I'm gonna have to talk to Rossi about that. Um, but yeah, I like Utami, like B. Um, I imagine the crowd will, you know, B might not get the superstar reaction when she comes out, but I'm guessing the crowd will get into this just from the work and for the stakes, if nothing else. That's sort of the brilliance of well-booked wrestling or competently booked wrestling, is that um, you know, you can get an investment there even if the individuals are not super over his stars to this point. Um, 
that's all I got on that. The only thing I can contribute to stardom discussion is they were announced for the Fire Pro Wrestling game um, just recently with a whole press conference with uh, Rossi and Mayu. Uh, and right now on Steam, all of the Fire Pro game and DLC is on sale for I think it's lowest price ever. It's like 70% off. So I may actually finally buy it. Okay, I've never played Fire Pro. I want to be clear about this. Uh, what do I? What would I have to have to play this game? So it's not a very intensive game, I don't expect, because it isn't you know super high quality graphics or computationally um, complex or anything. Uh, so I imagine you might be able to. I don't know what kind of computer you're working with there, but MacBook Pro. Okay. Yeah, I would think you might be able to play it on a MacBook Pro. Uh, you might want to get like a gamepad so you can play with a controller and not on a goofy keyboard or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, I haven't, I played, I had a, I think I had Fire Pro Returns like in the PS2 era. And it's like the most simulation-based wrestling game there is, which doesn't always make it super uh, entertaining gameplay-wise. Like the the accuracy to which it duplicates real matches or real wrestlers within it's like you know sprite based uh graphical system is kind of the appeal of it and that you can make your own wrestlers that can include anyone under the sun and do a pretty good job of replicating them to the same degree that the official wrestlers are done um but yeah you know it's not there's not like a story mode there's a new there's well there are story modes now but they're just sort of basic Presumably there's going to be some sort of stardom element because there is voice acting that they recorded with the 10 women that are involved. Um, but yeah, sort of the appeal of it is you kind of have to make your own fun with it, make your own dream matches with it, make your own people that, you know, uh, uh, well replicate the real wrestlers in it and have them wrestle each other, make your own cards, make your own shows. It's, it's more of a sandbox than a uh, guided play experience. Okay, this sounds like something I will not do. And I will continue not gaming. Not necessarily the most fun game, but it's like the most, you can do pretty much anything in there. Like I had the same version of Fire Pro that they talked about. And I was able to, there was a couple of the Dragon Gate guys that were there, but you had to go change their names because they didn't have licenses. So they, that was good. But you were basically able to like do everyone else because they have basically every wrestling move under the sun. And even if you're someone that's like trying to put this together, I imagine there's already some all elite wrestlers up there so like it just like this one has like online so you're able to get nearly everything i did see that uh they, they already have mayu atani in the game and they have her version of the stardom stars pose and they kind of made it so it's kind of awkward like how she does her pose so they, they are doing it kind of faithful to that so it'll be interesting i think it's cool the fact that stardom's in it i mean i don't have it because i don't pc game because i'm a mac user but you, you should be able to run your laptop if you were so choose so I will, uh, perhaps the most interesting thing, uh, even more so than the stardom participation here, which is interesting in that I think it's the first uh, Joshi res wrestling company to be officially involved with certainly this video game series, but maybe any video game series. I don't know. Somebody can correct me on that. Um, and also, of course, New Japan has a collaboration here. So it's kind of seeing those two promotions come together. The future storyline to come out for this game is written by a guy named Suda51, uh, who famously wrote a storyline for the Fire Pro series uh, in like the early 90s, which was famously dark and featured a bunch of analogs of American wrestlers 
like um i don't know rick flair and all these people with like you know silly changed names and stuff but it got like super dark and weird and psychological and at the end of the game your character commits suicide um by like shooting himself off screen because this guy is like a super weird narrative kind of psychological yeah writer. If, if you know suda 51 this is pretty par for the course for him uh yeah and he's like he has his own niche of like a, a, a fandom because he makes these weird yeah. offbeat games that are totally unique um so and so he's coming back to the series to write a new plot line for this installment which is interesting because you don't really see i guess wrestling or wrestling games cross over into like a uh, a, a narrative that stands on its own or has its own like separate uh, uh, appeal or value to it. Yeah, I did take a look just to see. There was uh, All Japan's Women's in the 90s, a part of oh, the Fire okay. Pro Series, but okay. this was the first one that's going to be available for Western audiences. So still right. But yeah, no, Suda is a very weird video game designer. And this was like his first big moment was writing this the suicide storyline and a fire pro game so it's cool that he's coming back for it so it's it's cool i mean i knowing how they uh the all elite people are view gamers like i and they've made references about wanting to do wrestling games and how there's been some shakeups in the wrestling industry and the video game side would be interesting to see maybe if they get the uh maybe if they give a license to it and do something along the lines of what new japan and what stardom did for this or if they're going to go with Fuchs who just left doing all the wwe games so it's interesting stuff I can add literally nothing to this conversation, so I will just go right to Nate recapping this week's Being the Elite. All right, Being the Elite episode 164, titled Throwback. Um, they set this up right from the top with the Bucks and Kenny in a Mexican hotel room, and they're reminiscing about the old days of BTE and how they got started uh, with this crazy adventure by doing vines in their hotel rooms on tours of Japan, and how they would do wacky things like kill people off all the time, um, sort of like Suda in that respect. Um, and they make a little joke. That's when they didn't care about the audio problems. Uh, and they say it's not the same anymore because now we're writing for a dozen people and we're doing terrible gimmicks like the librarian. So they decide they're going to rewind it back to the beginning and do a retro episode. So they kick it back to the old BTE titles. There's like an old school Terminator intro, Terminator intro um from i think the arcade game which i think i like more than the new one um but yeah so it's going to be an old school style episode um we start with matt and nick in the airport nick reveals that he bought matt his pistachios at the airport gift store and they were 14 dollars. so those are some expensive pistachios just uh, imagine how expensive pistachios are going to be when the planet cooks everybody yeah all the uh ice in alaska all of it melted today or something. Uh, da, da, da. So they sold 10,000 tickets in two hours. That's when they dropped this little nugget. Uh, they're going to open up 2,000 more after production kills are released. And we get an old school travel montage with a pop a buck jam. Uh, Nick lost his or forgot his contact lenses. So he's basically going to be blind. Um, and then they go to meet up with Kenny, but knock on the wrong hotel room. Wait, did did uh, Nick wrestle without contacts in? They never addressed that. I assume he did. Yeah, I guess he did. Which it seems like it would be hard. I wouldn't think that would be too hard. <laughs> what the fuck do I know? But I don't know. <laughs> but my I wear contacts all day, every day. And 
And you wrestle a lot. So no, when I'm dealing with, you know, things directly in front of me or large shapes of people, I'm like, fine. You know, if I, it may be that he needs them to read or to see street signs, but he probably doesn't need them to see where Pentagon Jr.'s body is when it's directly above him. Sure. But it's just like, well, first of all, your, your head is going to hurt by two days in, like by like hours in of just like not having your contacts in and your eyes straining to look at things. I don't know. I just think it would be very hard to pull off, but clearly he did it. That's why they make the big bucks. Ooh. All right. So they get a, they got a new ch- camera. They mentioned that was from Jeff Jones previously of ECW and now with all lead here. Um, and there's a very long clip of them ordering room service and they ordered eight diet Cokes and it seems to be very late at night. I would not make this mistake. Uh, and then there's a big to do about a big stuffed pepper that they bought from room service because they had resolved to take in more of the culture and, you know, the, the travel experience. And they, they were very wary biting into this big ass stuffed pepper. Um, I'm sure all the uh, Hispanic and Latin uh, viewers were laughing at the white people eating this pepper, which, you know, anyway. Uh, this was, I thought, the normalist that Kenny Omega has seemed in a while. Like, this is like a far departure from his goofy characters or like, you know, goofy promos. It's like, oh, yeah, he's like being a normal person interacting with uh, his friends here. Yeah, I like this episode a lot more because it seemed like they, they did do it old school and they had a travelogue. And to me, that just looked like it was a variant of Chili Riano they had that you would think that guys in Southern California would have come across that kind of mexican food like kenny i understand he's from winnipeg and lived most of his life in japan but for the rest of them like i feel like it's pretty standard fare but i like this i like this part a lot eight diet cokes though that late at night that's going to do hell on both your sleep schedule and your kidneys all right and then we go to i guess this is probably a mall they run into a guy in a uh the undisputed era shirt and make a little adam cole joke they go into a lucha store merch store and it looks like it's all el santo stuff there's masks and logos all over the place uh and then we get them in the van on the way to the arena with cody and also atlas security is in the van i think atlas security might be a shoot like they might have actually hired atlas Atlas security to be like their escorts (laughs) and like they also get involved in wrestling angles and have since the ecw days that's like kind of remarkable it's something that I was a little surprised by seeing that it sounds like, oh, okay, I guess when Cody showed up, there was that. So I thought that was kind of, you know, notable. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, very pro wrestling that there's like a security company that also is well versed in doing wrestling angles, but they're also a shoot security company. All right, then we get um, we get a drone shot of the arena. So I guess they probably got that, I'm guessing, from Sam Guevara because he was there on the card. No interaction with him, though. Uh, and we get Kenny backstage taking some Tums, probably because of all that fucking Diet Coke. And they, the Bucks are there, talk with Kenny. They're getting excited because it's they realize, hey, this is like a really big show. We got the whole production out there. It's a big stage, going to be packed full of people. It looks like the Tokyo Dome out there, they say. Um, and they comment on how, you know, going on the road all the time makes them miss their family. But when they see that it's going to be a big thing like this, it uh, still gets them excited. Uh, and then they go and do a little bit in the ring. Um, where they basically ask each other how much they want want it, it being superstardom and wrestling and how they want it so bad. Matt makes a joke that he got notified that a package was being delivered to his home, but he wasn't there to receive it because he wanted it so bad to be wrestling again. 
uh, and Kenny didn't separate his colors from his whites for the laundry. And they start doing basically a little uh, Three Stooges bit here with pro wrestling spots. And yeah, just feel like a little goofy physical comedy bit. You actually get them laughing at each other after they do the dumb bit, which is like, oh, yeah, it's funny to see the uh, actual personality there, I guess. You guys think Kenny's leaning out? I think he pretty reliably uh, uh, changes up his physique in between the big matches. Seems a little leaner than usual. Yeah, I didn't really put two and two together until I started watching this episode because he's someone that he has a general like just body frame, but it looks like he is starting to do that. Maybe it is that he has more time between matches so he can, but you know, he definitely looked like he's lost some weight. I feel like, of course, lost some mass. Well, I think he is probably naturally a junior, but to be a heavyweight, he had to do a bunch of steroids (laughs) or, you know, it's BT is drug free. So he had to, I don't know, live in the gym or something. Uh, Go live at mid breath. That's it. Well, yeah, that's our, yeah, sorry. He had to do a bunch of mid-breath uh, excursions. Uh, speaking of <laughs> steroids, um, they're eating Mexican, Mexican candy. candy. <laughs> Kenny, <laughs> well, Kenny, Kenny tries this Mexican candy and hates it so much that one of the veins on his neck pops out and starts quivering. It's going to be <laughs> the uh, segue. Uh, the young bucks have tried this Mexican candy or eat it, ate it when they were kids, so they are used to it. Um, Cody tries a piece. Says it's getting hot. He wonders wonders if he's being ribbed. Uh, Jeff Jones, again, previously of ECW, uh, admits that he used to eat Play Doh as a kid, which is a strong stance to take. Well, um, I think Cody talking then, about, you know, well, thing for him just introduced this. Yeah, I used to eat Play Doh yeah. as a kid. Like, it's like, oh, this reminds me of Play Doh, which I did used to eat as a child. <laughs> did either of you guys eat Play Doh as a child? I think I'd like it. I don't recall eating, eating Play Doh. I think I maybe. A, might have had like a nibble once, but not anything like reliable. Mike, you strike me as a Play-Doh eater. <laughs> I do remember that there were like Play-Doh eaters were a thing. Yeah. There was a kid who was like the kid in your, I don't know, preschool nursery class or whatever that would like go for the Play-Doh. I just, I remember like, I know what the taste of Play-Doh is, but I did not eat Play-Doh. Does that make sense? No, <laughs> a little, a little, a little contradictory. Ah, whatever. <laughs> um, so then we get um, a, a shot of everybody hanging out at the. Uh, I was going to change it from the gorilla position to something else because gorilla MRT will say that gorilla is problematic. Um, but they're backstage. Everybody's there backstage at the entrance way, including the exoticos, which is kind of like a funny pro wrestling scene. Um, and then we get the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega making their entrance. Kenny makes his entrance first. You get a nice little shot of Kenny shot from below going out on the stage, and then it transitions to his entrance on camera. Um, and then after this, they get a shot of everybody celebrating the sellout, even though we already saw earlier in the show that <laughs> it was sold out when they were in the uh, airport. Uh, and this is where they end up plugging in the locations and dates for the next few weeks. Um, it did kind of have a funny premise of everybody being responsible for booking one date, which is kind of a silly idea. Uh, and yeah, as we discussed earlier, those are the upcoming Boston and Philly shows. Okay. That's BTE for the week. Anything that we missed guys, we need to get back, uh, over before we close this thing out. No, uh, did not see any new, uh, reviews. Uh, I think we got a five-star rating, but did not see a new five-star review on the iTunes. 
So remember, if you write a funny little review with your five-star rating, include a, uh, a topic uh, at your leisure, then we'll discuss it here at the end of the show. But uh, we plugged in that uh, that whole stardom and overlong Fire Pro Wrestling discussion instead. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure that you are subscribed to the show. You can search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or find the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network and get us along with all the other shows on the network. Go on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating on there. Review. Make sure you subscribe wherever you are. Make sure you're following us on Twitter because as soon as I said the thing about being the most followed account, we'll certainly lose that, you know, so like don't let that happen. At Everything AEW, you can find me. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. I posted my uh, AI-generated uh, waifu yesterday. So a lot of good content from me. Uh, none of these other... Uh, no, Mike did post his. Yeah, I was going to say, I posted mine because I managed to break the AI within the first yeah. go. Impressive. So you can see that at Fujiheya. <laughs> and uh, Nate the Coward did not... I, he probably generated one, but he wouldn't post it. So but you can follow him at Epitasis if you want uh, just a cowardly avoidance of, of uh, computer-generated waif- waifus called brand management (laughs) i know nothing of brand management that's for sure okay that's everything for nate for mike i'm aaron and we will see you in seven days